Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. All right, everybody, I am Nick Slavic. I'm the proprietor of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. I am also the host of Ask a Painter Live. This is a weekly live show where we talk about the craft of painting as a master craftsperson. We talk about entrepreneurship as a business owner, and we talk about the life of a master craftsperson and uh, an entrepreneur here. So it's kind of an all-encompassing show. Um, this is the second show in a series that I do every winter called Mastering the Basics. So things typically in our industry slow down just enough so we can actually work uh, work, uh, work on our businesses, right? And so now is the time where we get a little introspective. We start working on all the things. And every year I go through a series of shows called Mastering the Basics, where we go through all of the steps to professionalization. So things that Jason Paris and I uh, have followed in our own businesses. Uh, we've actually worked with the PCA, the Painting Contractors Association, on coming up with formal business training uh, so that all of you, uh, for not that much money and time, can get involved with a cohort of people and actually go through this with a group of people uh, and experts, subject matter experts from all over the field here. So uh, it's gonna be an absolutely awesome morning. Anything you guys ever wanted to know about coming up with price, I am going to answer the proverbial question, what do you charge for X? I'm going to teach you all the theories behind it, many methods to do it, so that you are a Swiss Army knife, and you can now come up with uh, anything that you need to do to come up with price. Two really cool things at the end of this, which I'm going to share with you. I'm going to spin IG around so you guys can see my screen a little bit better. There we go. Two things I'm going to share with you, which are really cool and unique that you're not going to find anywhere else, are all of my resources for these things. So I am not a coach. I am not a mentor. Um, I am not a marketer. I have nothing to sell you guys. I am a servant leader of this industry. People have helped me before, and I'm here to help you. Uh, and as the chairperson of the board of directors of the PCA, uh, I would do this anyway. But now I get a big platform uh, to reach out to all my people, 330,000 painting contractors from around uh, North America, uh, and help. And I want this industry to professionalize. This series of shows called Mastering the Basics is basically my offering uh, to put my money where my mouth is and say, I'm going to help just the way that people have helped me. So anything you guys ever wanted to know? Holy mama, here we go. Uh, we already got a whole bunch of comments rolling in on IG. Swish Painting, good morning. We will see you at the retreat. We're finalizing the retreat here. Jason Webb, always good to see you. My friend, oh, Bez, how's it going? Good to see you, fellow Minnesota craftsperson. Friend of mine, do, 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 do. Alpha Pro Painting. Nick, can you talk about federal contracting? I can talk about it, but I'm not an expert. Um, uh, I could connect you with many people who have many more repetitions with federal contracting than I do. So you can email me, nick at nickslavic.com, and I can help. Do, 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 do. All right. All right, everybody, let's get after it here. So I'm going to share my screen. Uh, for those of you uh, not on Facebook, for those of you on TikTok, for those of you on Instagram here, you're going to miss uh, a pretty epic sp screen share. Uh, so I would definitely go out to uh, Facebook right now. And let's see, we got some things rolling in. Uh, da, 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 da. Steve Lockwood, good friend of mine here. Share this video out to everyone. That's how I found out the show. Someone shared it and I stumbled across it. And then my buddy Travis from 
Alaska. All right. Just like Steve said here, everybody, right now, as we get going, share it out. And uh, Steve, if you would do me a favor and Travis, uh, the last thing that I could not share before we started the uh, show was sharing it to uh, Tanner's uh, painting contractor group and sharing it to the PCA's paint ed uh, Facebook group. If you guys could do me a huge solid on that, share that to the group. I'll obviously share after, but I really want some people to be in on this this morning. Uh, it's going to be an awesome show. It's one of my favorite of the year. And we're going to talk about that proverbial thing of how do, what do you charge for X? So here we go, folks. Uh, and every year, uh, yes, we go through this every winter, but every year I am one year smarter and more experienced in my business. I add in a whole bunch of data uh, and feelings to these things. And uh, I feel like every year uh, there's probably about 30% new content and all this stuff backed by a whole bunch of data and repetitions. So you guys are ready to get after it. Interrupt me anytime. Questions, comments. I am here to help. Let's have an awesome morning. I'll fill you in what we did this weekend too. I've had a weekend full of fun. So, all right, everybody, mastering the basics, estimating. Uh, number 391, Steve Lockwood. Thank you very much, my friend. So I usually start off my master's classes around the country with saying, this is not what do you charge for X in the way you think it is. I'm not going to tell you what to charge for a bedroom. Sneeze coming. <coughs> I'm not going to tell you the actual number. I'm going to tell you how to come up with a number that is perfect for you. I will also share some market rate data at the end of this here. Um, so here's the thing that I hear all the time, everybody. I'm the most expensive, I'm the best, and I'm booked out a year and a half. Now, if you believe any of the laws of economics, many of these things can't be true at the same time or shouldn't be true, or you wouldn't want them to be true. We can actually find out if these are true. These are all feelings-based statements, and I used to say them myself. So if it sounds like I'm getting spicy with our industry here, it's because I have lived a life of saying those things backed by no data longer than I have saying those things backed by data. So I just want you guys to know that this is me, Maya Culpa, coming to you saying, I used to do this and it wasn't better for me, my business, my clients, or my people. And we can find out if all these things are true. Uh, most people believe they are the most expensive and I will guarantee you this, you are not, right? I have met almost no contractors in this country that overcharge for anything, right? Are you the best? Likely not. I'm very proud of what we do. On this wall here, we have over 12 national awards for what we do. I am not the best painter in the United States. I'm not the best business in the United States. My painters aren't either. We're pretty damn good, but we are not the best. And people take a lot of pride in saying they're booked out a year and a half. Well, here's the deal. On a basic law of supply and demand, if that something is plentiful and free, people will take a lot of it, right? So if you're undercharging for your work, you're, it's very easy to book out very far. Now, there's some, there's some laws of like this equilibrium too, where it's like, how far should you be booked out? Well, that largely depends on what type or what, what type of business you are in the industry. I'm res repaint, how big your business is, right? Like if you're booked out a year and a half and you got 40 painters, that is a huge problem. You have millions and millions and millions of work on the books there, right? If you're a commercial contractor and booked out that far, you might be able to make the economic argument that if you're selling one $1.5 million paint jobs, you, that's just how it takes. Some of those paint jobs are eight months long. But I would say, uh, you know, for our, for our painting business, we go between probably uh, 10 to 20 crews, depending on the lightest time of the year to the heaviest time of the year. I really like being two to four weeks out, no more than that. Two weeks, we can kind of get to people. Anything after four weeks, people are kind of like, yeah, we'll find somebody else. So it's actually a huge competitive advantage to have a very short lead time. But saying this as a fellow business owner, it's a little scary having a short lead time because uh, that could create gaps if you don't have really good processes. But I will say this, the longer I do this, 
the better we are at getting a system that gets predictable work in. It starts with marketing, it goes with estimating, and then project management. So at, at no time during the year are we scared that we're going to have a gap because we know if we do these certain things, a certain amount of leads will come through that will turn into estimates, that will turn into jobs, that will turn into revenue for the company. So uh, Fred Hamilton, thank you very much, my friend. Love that. Next slide, I'll try not to be so verbose here. So here's, here's generally how I think of coming up with price, right? We triangulate. Most of our industry and most of my life, I've come up with gut and experience. Well, this is what I charged last time. I'm not bankrupt. I'm still here, so I'll charge that again. There's production rates where we actually measure the room, measure the time, measure the revenue, and then come up with a X per square foot, X per linear foot, things like that. And then there's one thing that I never hear anybody talk about, which is market rate estimating. Market rate to me is the highest price you can charge for a job while filling your schedule, while delivering to the client, good value, um, that you can also produce profitably. So when people say to me, like, what do you charge for a bedroom? The unsatisfying but absolutely true thing I tell them is it's the highest price you can charge while delivering value to the client that will fill your schedule without any gaps. And when you produce it, you can produce it profitably. All three of those things have to be true for me for the perfect price. And that's how I think about it. So bedroom pricing experiment. I travel around the country and we do this. I have a proverbial bedroom and everybody estimates it anonymously. I post up a QR code and people go there and they fill out a Google form. And we ask for what do you charge to paint the walls in this bedroom? No trip, no ceilings, uh, no carpeting. We're going to move a couple pieces of furniture. We're going to do a couple patches on the walls. We're going to put two coats of really good paint on the wall. What do you charge for that? How many gallons of paint are you going to use? And how many labor hours are you going to use? And I track this all over the country. In fact, next week, I'll be in Central California, and we will do that same thing. I also have a bunch of really cool resources for you guys, which is I have actually filmed two live estimates, right? Way back in the early days, six, seven years ago, Ask a Painter Live number eight. I actually filmed a live estimate with a real client. We talked about decks. Uh, we talked about cabinets. We talked about walls, maybe even ceilings, too. Uh, and then later on, uh, we did here, I'm going to share this for you to show you guys. And oh, it's not going to show me the number there either. Let me have it. Ah, Ask a Painter 177. Ask a Painter 177. So uh, you can actually see two really different estimates, which is we talk about a lot of things. The first estimate I did six or seven years ago, I was using pen and paper. The next estimate I did many years later, I was actually using my tablet and we did a estimate where we printed it off on site. So I got two great data sets for you guys. Um, most painters, most painting contractors have never, ever seen a, somebody else do an estimate. You're welcome. I have two live estimates for actual customers there for you guys ready to go. So assumptions and variables. We start off almost every one of my master's class with some assumptions because I want you guys to know what this is all based on. So number one, you have a proven product. Remember what we did last week with creating SOPs? It doesn't matter what you charge if you can't deliver on a proven product for your client. If you can't look a client in the eye and say, I can guarantee you your cabinets will not chip, will not alligator, uh, will not fade, things like that, then it doesn't matter what you charge because uh, it's going to be unprofitable. So number one, you have to know what you're doing. Number two, price is only one variable. Be honest with yourself about production. So here's the deal, folks. Most of the time we think if we're not making money, we need to adjust the price. Let's all be honest right now. Lay the cards on the table. Are we working all the hours we can work? Are we working a full-time job? Are we using those hours productively? Do we have a proven process? Are we being efficient? Are we wasting time? Things like that. Number one, 
you may be charging a lot of money for what you do and still not be making any money because you're not a very good or fast painter. So number one, you have to make sure that you have your system dialed in and that you are being efficient. Then you can mess with price to see how it affects your business. You have to be consistent in order to mess with pricing. So here's the deal. If you, I, I hear this all the time and I cringe at it, which is, well, I go to the rich neighborhood, so I jack my prices up. Well, okay, that's not a great data set. You should be charging, you should be charging, again, the most money you can while delivering value to the client, while filling your schedule. And when you produce it, it should be profitable. If your success ratio, your, your uh, times you sell and don't sell is all over the map and you randomly change your prices because you think you're a psychologist and you can read how the client is, uh, you're going to have a very tough data set. You're not going to know what to charge, right? And I will say this. There are times where market rate will dictate that you charge more. To me, it's more of a timeline-based thing, which is, hey, we're booked out four weeks for cabinets. If you want it done next week, I can see what I can do. But if there's not a lot of supply and there's a whole bunch of demand, that dictates you move your prices up. Still, we don't do a lot of that because I want a clean data set with this stuff, right? I don't think we're psychologists. I don't think we can guess what the client's real motivations are, things like that. Uh, be open to the idea that you may not be great at the presentation of the estimate, right? What if your pricing is perfect? What if your proven process is good? You're just horrible in person in that human's home, right? You have to be open to that. You have to be open that you need to be uh, better at this job, right? But if you are good at this job uh, and you are personable and you do know what you're doing, now you can mess with price and that'll be the variable. When in doubt, get the job, get the data point. So I'll always say this too, which is when we start up a new process or a new sort of venture within the company, I'll say, well, my estimators will be like, well, what do we charge for this? And I will say, we need a job first. We don't know. Like we have a guess. We have some market rate data. We have all this other stuff. But, um, you know, we need the job to do some job costing to figure it out. We may be overcharging. We may be undercharging. We may be doing all this stuff, but we don't know yet. So in the end, get the job and then do rigorous, rigorous job costing to see if you're right. Um, and just know this, most people estimate by feelings. And I would be lying to you if I said that there wasn't a little bit of feelings baked into my estimating process. It's probably 95% pure, clean data market rate, production rates, everything else. But there's still always that little bit where you just have to give it a sniff test, up or down, give or take. Um, and you got to add your data to the feelings here. And remember this, folks, if this seems like a mystery, what could you possibly charge for this? We live in different areas. We couldn't talk about charging. Uh, we, I do something different than you. I'm high end and you're not. Guess what, folks? Every single pricing question can be answered by job costing. Job costing is tracking material and labor per job and then comparing it to a benchmark. And over time, you're going to see a pattern whether you do really well or really bad. And then you're on your decision tree, if your job costing stinks, right? If you're not being profitable, you have two choices. You can change your price or you can change your process. I would always mess with process first to get it down. When you know you can't do any better or faster with the products you have, then you might be able to mess with price and do that. If you mess with both at once, you have a dirty or muddled scientific experiment because you're changing two variables. And in the end, you might not know what actually affects it. All right, we have some questions from Facebook. For your production rates, are you calculating this based off the total hours on the job, drive time, prep, paint, and prep? Or are you strictly tracking hours to paint? Love this question. To me, all the hours. We're talking drive time. We're talking cleaning out a sprayer, that, because that is the actual time you're paying a human to do that job. And they wouldn't have to do that if, if you didn't have that job. So to me, it's all the cost involved in doing that job. Now, you may say then, well, what about your estimator? What about your marketing? What about this? That's all overhead. There are direct costs and indirect costs. There are variable costs and fixed costs. Direct 
and variable costs are, are costs you only incur by getting the job, material and labor, right? There might be some other little weird ones in there. Um, things like liability insurance, you got to pay regardless. Things like your shop or your vehicles, things like that, you pay regardless of whether you have that job. Those are fixed costs. Uh, those are indirect costs to the job right there. That's how I do it. So Austin, absolutely. I, I do. If you do just so there's there's different ways of doing production rates, right? Sometimes it's valuable to know how much bare drywall can we clean and prime. And then you can calculate just that. But you can do the same calculation, taking in prep for the job, driving to the job, all the lunches for the job, going to get materials, things like that. Those can be two different things. And both of them are useful. Uh, in the end, job costing is the is the overall mark uh, that you can use for all that stuff. So, Bruce, how's it going, man? I'm in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Market rate per square foot for interiors one dollar. How's that compared to the rest of the country? So, here's the deal, um, Bruce. I, I get what you're going at here. The problem is that may be the going rate, but that's a going rate for you, for your business, your market, not necessarily the location, right? I bet you that. Bruce, in your area, if I called 10 painters and ask them that question, they're going to be all over the place. And, and listen, with respect, I know that you're really good at this. You know your numbers. But here's the deal. You're going to find 10 different production rates. Odds are eight to nine of those people won't even know that number. So you're already ahead of the game. But I will say this. Location has way less to do with the price of paint jobs. It has way more to do with the human who owns the company and if they've ever actually calculated a job costing number before. So I've seen wild variability all over the place, basically due to the human and not necessarily the location. I have some of the craziest market rate data for you ever. I do this study, anonymous pricing experiments all over the country, and I'm going to show you why it doesn't matter where you live at the end of this uh, presentation here. And also I'll share with you a bunch of estimating resources. But love the question, Bruce. Um, and feel free to have any questions you got. we got a whole bunch of people on Instagram, on TikTok. Good morning, everybody. Glad you're all here with us. Um, okay, here's the deal. This is my price Bible. What you're looking at right now is exactly what my two beloved estimators look at when they price a project. This is the culmination of 30 years of me being a master craftsperson, 15 years of running my business, all my data, all my job costing, all my special market rate stuff in here. I condense it down into unit pricing for my people. So when we, so when we go to paint a bedroom, there's only two options. You have a big bedroom and a small bedroom. And you can say, well, that's that's unit pricing. I could say, well, it started off as production rate pricing. Then we do market. And then to help my estimators out, we turn it into a unit. So honestly, folks, the, the culmination of simple, clean, beautiful data is that we have seven or eight different kinds of exteriors that we do. And people say, well, listen, what about the landscaping? What about the prep? Listen, folks, the data will tell you there's only seven or eight different kinds of exteriors that my company does. And you can group them into seven pricing points. We've done... Excuse me. We've done 3D models with an app called Hover for years, and we've calculated the envelope square footage right down to the inch. And then we've looked at our job costing and we found that there's only seven or eight types of exteriors. Now, you can make a sniff test plus or minus 10 percent for a crazy amount of prep or landscaping or things like that. But we've broken everything down to this. Everybody says, why don't I just download this in a PDF and send it to everybody? Here's the problem, folks. Um, that's like skipping ahead. Uh, in the race and winning the race and not actually going through all the training. This pricing may put you out of business, right? I have a fairly large business. We're in the upper Midwest. We have a long winter to get through. When you look at the pricing for my company, I would argue that my price, not argue, I can show you, my pricing is quite a bit lower than a lot of other painting companies around the country. Now, 
my data is pure and clean and this is actual. When we do our anonymous pricing experiments, what might be happening is that people report that that's what they um, charge for a room, but they may actually charge a lot less. Open to that as well too. But what you're gonna get from me is pure clean data. We're likely gonna do seven to 750 jobs this year. We get 2,200 leads, we do 1,800 estimates, um, we have an SR of about 47%, give or take, and uh, we have a lot of data that comes through here. So that's just what I offer to you guys with this. The reason I don't just hand over my price Bible is that what stage of business are you? We've been growing 32 to 47% over the last five years. We got a lot of people, folks. Uh, number of employees. I mean, at any one time, we go between maybe 20 to 25 people to 40 people, right? Pricing is going to be a lot different based on that. Uh, my goals. Uh, for the last five years, we've been rapidly growing. Now we're stabilizing at a plateau right now before we make a next jump. My pricing is going to change now, right? And my method of estimating is very simple. I, I do believe that maybe even oversimplifying is way more beneficial, way more beneficial um, than having a very intricate system. Now, it fits my personality, right? I like to oversimplify every data-driven business thing so that we can focus on the human side of the business. To me, that's where I love doing all of this stuff. Um, I manage my estimating team. We have a weekly one-on-one -on -one where we look at all the numbers and we have connections on the data and the feelings every single week. So here's, here's what I have for you guys. And this is why this is unique, which is I have 15 years of data, right? It's an insanely robust data set. And now we can compare it down to, hey, listen, of all the Victorian mansion restorations we've ever done, there's basically about three options. Is it a this one? Is it a that one? Is it a that one? Let's make an argument. But it's but what we do is we solve for, oh my God, how could you ever come up with a price for this? Like, well, we have data and all we can do is rely on the data. All right, here we go. Ah, oh, Bruce, another question from me there. I know you do some restoration projects. How do you price that separately from the, oh, easy. So here's the deal. Um, we have done them in the past. We've tracked the time, we've tracked the materials and all we can do is go off of that, right? That's easy. If, if we do six Victorian restorations every summer, we have six new data points of this is the size of the house. This is the 3D envelope, right? Uh, I can actually show you guys something here real quick. Let me, estimating quick reference guide. I actually have a picture book. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you guys this a little bit later, um, but I'm gonna share a screen real quickly here. And I'll show you, I actually made and, uh, do, 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 do. We're going to share this one. So I actually made uh, lovingly what I called children's books. Let me get this one in here. So basically what we have here is, do, 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 do. let me get here so it's clear. There we are. So this is basically a estimating quick reference guide, Bruce. The unsatisfying answer is that every time we do a Victorian restoration, we track material, we track labor, and it's a new data point for us. We also measure, measure the outside envelope of it. So when you can see here, we, we basically um, put our houses into categories, which is, okay, here's a small one. Uh, they give or take 10%. It's about 1085 square feet of total facade. This is just measuring the entire envelope. Then we have a medium house, 2229, give or take. And I just throw an example up. Uh, we have a large house, which is 3000 square feet. This is not floor. This is total exterior envelope. I'm counting eaves. I'm counting windows. I'm counting, I don't care. I want it to be simple. I want it to be simple. Then we have an XL house, which is 5,200 exterior square feet. And then we have XXL, which is 6,800 square feet. Those are big boys, right? And even bigger than that, uh, we have an XXL, give or take. So uh, this is a house we, we restored on Prior Lake. Really cool house. Now, when you get into the historic restorations, you can see even, even well, most historic restorations are fairly large. 
when we do the uh, envelope calculation, uh, some are 6,000, some are 7,200, uh, give or take. Uh, we have a third one. I'm still trying to come up whether it's bigger or smaller, but basically we just, we look at that and we just say a house like this is going to take 480 hours, right? We're going to need $71,000, give or take. Now you can make an argument, well, there's 13 colors. Well, now we're going to have to bring it up. Only one color. Now we bring it down. Is the landscaping crazy? Is the prep, prep crazy? Is all that other stuff? So that's basically what we have. And you can see, uh, we call this the children's book. This is a picture book. You can basically look at this. And if you flip through uh, right now, uh, if Bruce, you were to send me an estimator and say, Nick, you got one week to train this person. This would be very easy. I would say, well, day one, we're going to talk about exteriors. We're going to print off this picture book and we're going to go stand outside of a house. And I will say, Kelly, if you send me a Kelly, stand out here and point to the picture of the house that that house closest resembles, right? And if we do that, then what we do, we look at the XL house and then we look at my price Bible uh, right here and it'll say for an XL, we charge give or take this because we sort by our job costing, we sort by the size of house and we can tell if we charge this on an XL house, we lose. If we charge this, we have a tendency to win and better job costing. So that's how we figure it out. The unsatisfying part about all this is that it's uh, you got to collect the data. You got to be consistent, things like that. So, Bruce, I absolutely love the question. Um, happy to go deep on, on this anytime. You got my email address. Uh, we can do this anytime here. So do, 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 do. all right, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for watching on IG. Love this. All right, TikTok too. Everybody, if you got any questions, feel free to chime in. Otherwise, I'm going to keep going. We've got a ton of people watching this morning. I want to stay on it today. So, all right. That's why I don't hand over my price Bible, right? It's not that it's a secret. It's just that uh, I don't think people will put in the work to actually figure out if that's a good price. They will just charge that. And then they won't have any, uh, if things go right or wrong, um, they won't have any data to back it up with. So, okay. All right. Do, 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 do. I want, oh, do, do. Sorry, guys. Let me let me make sure my screen was cut off a little bit. So I'm gonna go back to here. Let's share that bad boy. There we go. Okay, Bruce, we'll get rid of that comment. There we go. All right. So, all right, folks. Lovingly, uh, for the industry, uh, we have a way of rating our clients. For all of the people who are not professional house painters or master crafts people. Uh, Hold tight, this may sound spicy, but this is with love, right? So there's nothing more that I love than taking care of my clients. We wanna provide immense amount of value. We wanna do an amazing job. We want you. We want to do so good that there's a tip at the end, that there's baked goods given to us and we get a five-star Google review and then you use this in the future. Internally, we have a kind of funny way of rating our clients, but it's with love. We call it the PVC scale, the people be crazy scale. Now. This is not us belittling, belittling our clients. So if there's anybody watching out here that is not a professional house painter, entrepreneur, or master craftsperson, you've got to understand the context in which this is, which is I have proven processes in my company that are proven with 100% to make people happy. If we deviate from that standard process, each time we deviate, the probability of your happiness goes down and down and down. So in a way, this is a checklist where if you ask for a bunch of stuff that I know doesn't make a better product, it's not that you're a bad person. It's just that you're not a good fit for my company. So some of these things, PVC, people be crazy. Um, they refuse our process. Hey, we always do two coats on walls. Well, a client only wants one to save money. Sorry, we're just not, not you're not a bad person. You're just not a good fit for my company. 
pros do two coats on walls, right? Hostile communication. If people uh, Instagram DM me and then TikTok message me and then email and then call all over, it's just a sign of people who haven't been a good fit in the past. Nice, consistent, clean communication. Um, consistently changing scope all the time. Uh, for your sake, we don't want to charge more. And every time you change, uh, it changes our plan and we may have to charge you for the extra time it takes. Use my paint. Uh, a non-negotiable with my company is that we do not allow the clients uh, to provide the paint. Not because we want to buy some cheap, crappy product and get our discount and save money. Typically, the clients will never buy paint as good as we do. I mean, our paint that we use for walls is typically 70 to 100 bucks a gallon, give or take. Most clients will never buy that stuff. We get a great discount. We pass it along. We also guarantee the color, guarantee the shine, guarantee delivery on time and the quantity of it. If a client takes that over, we're going to need that. Very few clients are going to stop their job midday to go get us another gallon. So it's a huge friction point, non-negotiable for my company. <coughs> ask for a discount. You are not a bad person if you ask for a discount. We will politely decline it for you because we don't do that. Our pricing is standard across the board. Um, but if you ask for a discount, use my own paint, hostile communication, all of a sudden you're, you're on our radar for like, ah, shoot, I bet you this person might not be a good fit for our company, right? Stress is timeline irrationally. You must start at 10 a.m. Wednesday, December 11th. It's like, listen, we, we will try, right? We'll try to promise that, but we have vacation. We have sick days. I mean, we have people getting called up to National Guard. We have weather emergencies. We have jobs that go short and long. It's like, we will work with you on a schedule, but I, I'm only going to fail if I do that, if I just guarantee you that. Uh, so uh, many specific requests about a job. We have three cats. They're all in separate rooms. You can't let them out. You can't get in, but you still need to paint the room. Like, things like that. It's like, you're setting us up to fail. Uh, doesn't believe us, right? Uh, some people, uh, uh, we usually have, um, there's a higher proclivity of people who are general contractors, commercial project managers, uh, things like that to give us more problems. Um, I don't blame them. They are professionals. They want to exert their professionalism. They don't understand that we are really good at this and we are looking out for them. I don't blame them. There's a, uh, our industry is very unprofessional. And when they want to sort of manage the projects, I don't blame them. But the problem is, you're actually talking to a pro this time, and I hope we can gain your trust and, and take care of this for you. Things like that. So, all right, let's go on to, we have a never again list. So even when we talk about, and then Brent, I'll get to your question here. We have a list of things that we don't do anymore because when we talk about estimating, uh, you shouldn't just be estimating everything. You have a proven process for something in your company. You track the profitability of it. You track the success of it. And if it's not profitable and not successful, you can make a great data-based argument to stop doing it. A lot of the things on this list are things we can do very well, but the clients just don't interact well with it. Number one, window refinishing. In Minnesota, we got these pine windows. They get dark in the corners. We can show a client a picture before and after that we can't get rid of all the black, but we'll make them a lot better. They say, oh my God, that'd be great. We do it. And then what do you think they say at the end? Well, I just thought it'd be all gone. It's like, well, we set proper expectations. I know you wanted that outcome, but you did agree to this and we were upfront and honest. And when we get enough of these in a row, we say, listen, we can do a really good job with these. The problem is clients don't, don't uh, uh, go along with our process. So we can't offer some things like that. You can see the rest of the list on there as well. Pre-qualifying clients. So, all right, uh, let's see here. Brent, let's get to your question. Quick question on social media aspect of your marketing. What have you found to be the ideal number of times to post per week? We at Hacky Painting are averaging two posts per week. Should we be doing more? Uh, great question. I will say right now that um, I've not many, I've not met, uh, I've not met many contractors who overpost, right? So my standard is at least once a day, but uh, I have one plan post a day, and then I typically do uh, six to eight either shares, reshares, just things. That's just what I naturally find with mine. I don't think you can overpost, honestly, Brent, uh, if I'm being honest here. So, all right, Scott McDowell. 
Hey, Nick, I know in the past you've said you generally do not offer discounts or incentives for seasonal months during winter. I'm curious during your growth phase from three to five employees, you're 40 plus. When did you uh, when did you conquer your seasonality curve to fill scheduling? At what point did your growth phase did you notice this? So there's lots of things you can do. This isn't one single thing you can do. If your marketing gets 10% better every year, which mine is, it's, it's a refining system, right? And your estimators get a little bit better every year and your project managers get a little bit better every year. And then you hybridize your workforce where you have subcontractors, full-time W-2s, part-time W-2s. You don't have 40 people standing there in the third week of December looking for work. So we can flex to meet the demand curve seasonally. Uh, naturally with subcontractors, part-timers, and then full-timers, things like that. So the unsatisfying answer is about eight things happen and improve and get better every single year to drive that. And uh, in the six or seven years when I've gone from zero to the 40, uh, we've we've had times where there's gaps in the schedule. I'm not going to lie to you, right? Uh, this year will probably be the first time in 15 years where we don't have a little gap in the middle of winter uh, and everything is working very well, but it's being consistent and not extreme, which is your number one, the biggest way you can do this is to work on the marketing to just get more leads and more estimates, and more jobs, right? That's just the way you do it. And that is a constantly evolving system of tracking the data, tracking your marketing dollars, tracking uh, leads that come in there, the success ratio, not only of those channels of marketing, but of the types of jobs or even locations. So every year you make incremental changes, five, six, seven years later, we got a great system and it's and sometimes we even use our own effort door hangers calling reactivating clients things like that so scott always happy to help you with that offline too uh if you email me happy to do that as well too do, 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 do. all right everybody in the picture book do you do hours or dollars caldwell painting um yeah so both right um what i do is my picture books are agnostic they just list a picture of a house and the size the price Bible changes as we do uh, one to two price increases for a year. The quick reference guide, the, the price Bible is just an image and a size. So it's completely agnostic to price. Our price Bible changes. So when you look at an XL house or, or a triple XL exterior, what you're going to find is that I keep a record of over the years of where we move the price based on job costing, market, things like that. So um, no, I, I keep, um, we, have a, we have a list of hours, right? We have a list of dollars. Um, in market rate, we want to charge the highest amount you can while filling your schedule and able to produce it profitably while giving value to the client. So that sort of thing. All right. Pre-qualifying clients. I know that a lot of our industry, this is where I push back a tiny bit. Um, people love to brag about how they pre-qualify clients. Well, I'm not going out to your house unless I know that I'm going to get this job or I don't know a budget. Here's the thing, folks. I've been doing this 30 years. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know what people's budgets are. I've never had one productive conversation with a client about like what their budget is. If I was a client, like, so think about this. I want to get um, a driveway port at my farm out here. If that guy says, what's your budget? I'll say, I have no idea. That's why you're here doing an estimate. And if I'm being honest, concrete man, I'm afraid to say something too high. If I say, well, it's $20,000, he's like, great, that's the price. Let's do it right now. I'd be like, whoa, wait a second. You seem very eager. Did I just like say double what a driveway is? And what if I say too low? Well, 5,600 bucks. He'll say, eh, I'm not a good fit. It's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I don't know. I'm asking you for a price. So you have to understand that a client is going to be uh, definitely guarded about this price. They're afraid to say something too low or too high. And they just want, all right, so remember, this comes later on too. But remember that clients in all of their questions, 
what they really want to hear or know is that they will not be taken advantage of, right? So at the end of every one of the question, what, who's going to be painting my house? When are you going to start? What type of paint? They may not actually care about any of those questions. What they do care about is they do not want to be taken advantage of, right? So think about that. When you say, well, listen, I'm going to need to know your budget and all this other stuff. I'm going to need to have this job before I come out. You're about to enter into a huge financial agreement with these people. I mean, we do $37,000 interior trim jobs. Do you think they're going to take this sight unseen without meeting you? without talking with you, without considering with their spouse, their significant other, maybe even getting financing. Like we need to be open to this sort of thing, right? Yeah, that that we need to understand it from the client's point of view here. So, all right, so pre-qualifying clients, people love to brag about this. Here's the deal, I agree with you. You should be very proud of your pre-qualifying until you grow a big business. You, you will not be pre-qualifying then. You wanna hear my pre-qualifying? If you contact me and want a painting job done that we offer and you're in our service area, you get an estimate. I cannot discern your budget. I've, I don't know how to do that. I've never had a productive method of doing that, right? I don't know how serious of a client you are, but I assume that if you take the effort, I offer free estimates. We all do, right? If somebody takes me up on that and they ask for something that I do, stain my deck and you're in my service area, I'm not about to berate them and answer them questions uh, about try to not get them in. We need 2,200 people a year to contact us and ask for one of those things. And I want way more leads, way more estimates than my company can handle. That is the goal. So I'll answer some questions in a little bit. I just want to keep going on this. So for years and years, I didn't have a phone number because we just had enough leads, right? Problem is when you grow a big professional business, you're at some point, your, uh, your need for sales is going to outstrip your need for production. We have more production than we need right now. We're actually working on increasing sales. And even in within the year, it goes seasonally. At the height of summer, we don't need more sales. We need more production. At the height of winter, we need more sales and less production. And that's how we flex things on a hybrid thing. So number one, this is a, a screenshot from my own website. I make it easy. When people want an estimate, they can. I, I do now have a phone number. Right. We went there because we actually needed to be a professional company and we're probably getting somewhere between four and eight leads per week just from our phone number. That's a lot of leads uh, for something we just didn't have before. Right. This is a screenshot of my website. And when people come here, they uh, Google will autofill all this. And we ask for a couple things. Obviously, all their contact info. I need to know where did you hear about me? This is where we gather our market data. We have a drop down menu with all the ways that people can uh, find out about us and they have to pick. And this is how I come up with, a, oh, we are gonna have an amazing marketing mini master's class coming up shortly, probably in the next week or two here. Uh, and we're gonna go through exactly how I figure out uh, my marketing budget and how I can do effective marketing. But we ask them that. And then we also see this big box down here, down here, uh, we ask them, uh, what type of project it is. So we don't have to, we don't have to ascertain that. The second somebody clicks in on this and um, submits a, um, a request for an, uh, for an estimate, a Google sheet gets automatically populated with that. And it also sends uh, an email and a Trello card for my company so that we can act on it uh, with the coordination. So we, uh, we do not do a lot of pre-qualifying. If you ask for something we do in our service area, we will offer you an estimate. And that's how it goes because we need lots of work. All right, so what makes a good estimate? This is what I believe makes a good estimate. Bruce, do you offer financing? We do not. Uh, interestingly enough, this is a weird question. So we don't offer people a way to get financing. People have banks, people have credit cards. I feel if they really want it, they'll just put it on a credit card. But here's the deal. De facto, all of us offer financing, right? We pay our labor, we pay for paint, we do the job, 
And then basically we give them an interest-free loan until they pay us, right? Some people pay right away, not a big deal, not a, not a long-term. Some people pay six months. In fact, we have given them interest-free financing. So if you have a 30-day payment policy, you have just offered your clients a 30-day interest-free loan. That should be a selling point too. Uh, Emmanuel, what source do you recommend to send out postcards for marketing? Number one, determine if you actually uh, need postcards for your marketing. Number two, uh, I would find a way, um, you could either do something that uses your effort or your money. You could send out postcards by yourself, right? Or you could go with uh, the US Postal Service has a thing called EDDM, Every Door Direct Mail. There's many companies that offer this. A lot of them are very expensive. I would, I would interview two to three different companies that not only sort the postal routes, print the cards, package them, comply with the USPS uh, uh, regulations and do that. I would also figure it out of uh, just taking your own client list and printing out uh, envelopes, uh, postcards yourself too, uh, for things like that. So, but do some experiments, capture the data, and then you'll know if it's worth it or not. So, uh, but I've used a ton of different services for that sort of thing. So here's what I think makes a good estimate, right? Simplicity and intuitiveness. It's got to be accurate. Modularity and options. That's huge. I want a quick turnaround. I want it delivered on site, non-negotiable. Uh, address the needs directly and honestly of the client. Setting proper expectations consistency of the marketing, the look, the feel, the colors, the logos. And then you want to make it easy, right, folks? I truly believe that this is a, even though some people give us a lot of money, this is a very transactionary business. And if you overcomplicate this with pre-qualifying and then they have to wait a week for their estimate and then they got to set up another appointment, they're just going to take somebody who could do it quick and that they, um, that they trust relatively easily. So you got to be really careful about how many hurdles you place in front of clients. So simple and intuitive. This is it, folks. This is the estimates that come out of my company. It is one page, right? There is a front and there is a back. And I believe in the one page. We have almost never made an estimate that's longer than one page. What you're looking at here is a 15-room, 16-room house. There's options for walls, ceiling, closets, trim, cabinets, all the miscellaneous stuff. It's laid out in a menu option right here, which is all the rooms here, all the things we can do. Prices listed here. And when somebody says, hey, great, we want to take the office off and we will say then we don't have to revise the estimate. We can say, great, cross that off. We will not paint it. We will not charge you for it. But we don't have to redo the entire estimate, right? Hey, Pookie, how you doing, babe? Good. Good. You want to sit here? Sure. All right, grab a chair. Yay. We're about halfway through Ask a Painter today. So it's my little sauna companion from this morning. So, okay. So this is what I believe is, sim is simple. Now for a client, it's not a 17 page thing. There's not paragraphs of words, right? There's bullet points on my contract. This is a contract on the left. And then there's my estimate here and everything is taken care of through there. We hand that to them and they make their decision. We answer any questions. Mr. Gill, how are you? Good to see you. Next slide. So here it is folks. What do clients want to ask but never do? It is, are you going to take advantage of me? So think about it, even at its simplest term, when somebody says, what type of paint are you going to use? Do you think they actually care about Sherwin-Williams, Benjamin Moore, Duration, Emerald, Designer, things like that? If you ask me, my honest opinion is that when somebody asks, what type of paint are you going to use? What they want to ask is, are you going to use crappy builder's paint? Because we bought this house seven years ago. We built it brand new. They use builder's flat. My kids have marked up all the walls. When I go to wash those walls, it comes off on the rag. And now I'm left with this beautiful house with a paint job that is subpar. Are you going to do that again to me? They don't even care about the brand. They just don't want you to use Builder's Flat again. So understand that they may not need to know the molecular signs of paint. What they may need to do is get trust.
from you. So address the needs directly, which is on my contract, here's the deal. What we don't do is talk a lot about the coding science, the process, the things like that. We'll, in, in a cabinet job, we'll describe prep, prime, prep, and two coats of professionally sprayed enamel, right? That's all they need to know. If they have questions, they'll let you know. But here's the deal, that the needs of the client, in my eyes, are, have less to do with paint and more to do with the human side, their house side of it, which is we help with color, we clean, and we move furniture. That are, are the three biggest value propositions that I can offer to a client. If all I do is talk about how good we are, how many national awards we have, how many humans we have, how many vans we have, the quality of our paint, that doesn't actually address any of their needs. The number of vans and people we have, the number of years in business, don't actually address their needs. What they're wondering about is we got a king size bed. It's a craftmatic. It's got all the springs and everything else. We can't move it. Are you? They don't care about your national awards, right? You are there to be the guide in this process and not the hero. Just remember that, okay? So when we have the biggest value proposition you can offer is help with color. Now, this doesn't mean you have to choose the color. It just means you have to have uh, facilitate that. And we offer free virtual color consults from Sherwin. We also offer to connect them with a professional designer for anything that they need, right? Setting proper expectations, uh, technical data sheets. Now, these are free from every paint company that will actually tell you the processes, right? So you can, if you get a client that distrusts the deck process, you can actually print out a data sheet and sometimes it'll even tell you it needs to be recoded every 12 to 24 months or something like that. So you may sound like a salesperson. You may feel like a salesperson when you tell somebody you need to stain your deck every year. But when you can back it up by a technical data sheet from the manufacturer, now you have data. Now you have feelings, things like that. So setting proper expectation is so important in this process. So methods of coming up with price. Let's run through some of these two here. Uh, let me check everything Hi, here. See ya, baby. Oh, we got some questions Hi, here. Yes, Can baby. Yes. All right. Fortunate finishes. Can you break down an exterior example of your price book down for interior variables? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll show you that in just a second here. Uh, yes. So let's do a screen share real quick before we go on. Estimating quick reference guide. Oh, actually, we don't want that one. We want the interior one. I'll share that one with you. And again, remember, folks, this is this is not magic. This is built on a mountain of consistent job costing over the years. So let's go to screen share. I'll do this real quick. I'm, I'm sorry to interject, but this is a really good question here interior okay let's get this one in here so same thing here let's get rid of this one there we go so here's our interior one so we have a regular size bedroom and a big bedroom so think about the difference between a 13 or 15 foot bedroom versus a master bedroom with a little hall or a vestibule or a vaulted ceiling right we have a standard closet or a large closet you can walk in. Now, yes, folks, there's always going to be a foot difference here or there. But if we're being honest, just charge for it. It's more important that you get that estimate out quickly to the client so they can respond. And plus or minus, if a bedroom is a foot this way, a foot that way, who cares, right? Powder rooms, again, we have a bathroom with no closet. But this is how we break down the prices. Then we have a regular bathroom there. We have a bathroom with a water closet. You can see that people always say, yes, but there's so many variables in houses. Every house is different. How can you possibly do it? That is an excuse. That is letting perfection stand in the way of really, really, really good. So we have laundry rooms, right? Not many people have something different than that. We have a small hallway. We have a large hallway, right? We have a small kitchen, which is just a couple walls. We have a large kitchen, which is all inclusive of a dining space, right? We have a living room. We have a large living room, right? 
it's not that much different. Uh, typically, there's kind of like two or three different types of stairs. Uh, we have kind of stairs down. We have stairs up. We have a large stairwell that usually has a, a two-story component. We have an entry and a foyer, which is a very large area, usually on the main floor of the house. Uh, large, see? We have interior doors, uh, service doors. We have a price for those two. Uh, and all the things in there. So I just want you guys to know that, yes, every house is different, but not that different. You can absolutely do this. So all right, let's get this back up here. But that's how we that's how we do it in my company. Um, the way we come up with price for that, fortunate, is uh, that we do job costing and we keep track of it. If every time we do a foyer project, it's really profitable, uh, you can make the argument that we're either pricing it right or we could even charge a little bit more for it. Or if we sell a lot of them, we could charge a little bit more for it, things like that. You just have to be, uh, yeah, you just have to kind of be, uh, you know, watching the job costing. So doo -doo -doo -doo. let's see here. Let me make sure I'm not missing anything. Jason Webb, thank you for the compliment. Oh, uh, Lucina Painting. How soon do you guys get a quote to the client from Instagram? We do it on site. We have about 45 minutes to an hour. We go through everything. And if you look at... Let's move this back up here. I'll show you this. Uh, my two estimators can turn this out, can turn this out uh, in the matter of an hour, printed on paper to the client. They also email them the entire packet. To me, on-site estimates are the most important. We really, so if you think about it, a client has segmented time out of their schedule, agreed to be there, their schedule or their, their project is top of mind. How great if you can actually have all the data there and answer any questions while you have their time and they, the project is top of mind. So here's here's some different ways on the screen, seven different ways of theoretically come up, coming up with uh, a price for jobs. Gut, reasoning on first principles, industry benchmarks, job costing, production rates, unit pricing, and then market. All different ways. Some of these are combined, some of these are not, but either way, um, they're very effective in doing this. So uh, da, 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 da. Jessica, uh, I've been on the page waiting for the live to pop and it never did. I happen to see your share. Oh, yeah. Yep. Sorry. Thank you for that. Everybody's catching it in a different way. Jones decorating. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to help you guys. So, okay. Let's go. And I got two very important things to tell you guys at the end of this, which is I have market rate data from all over the country, which I'll share with you what people charge uh, anonymously uh, for the same uh, bedroom project. I'll also have a lot of uh, resources to offer you guys, free resources as far as all this stuff goes. So, all right. Method number one, gut. This is the most common in our industry, right? Wild swings because most people don't job cost. And uh, it gives you a punitive relationship with the client. Well, I charged this last time and I didn't make any money. So I'm going to really lay it to this client this time. You know, I got burned on the last one, maybe, right? But if you don't run a professional business, you don't actually know if you got burned. You may have overcharged for it and not given enough value to the client. So data plus feelings. Uh, and again, this is like me not pushing back. I did this for a long time, but it just is what it is. We got to get some data in there uh, to estimate with as well, too. Do, 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 do. Okay, method number two, reasoning on first principles. Uh, so here's here's a sort of like thought experiment for you. Most craftspeople get paid $25 an hour as a W-2, just on an average. Most paint business owners make $22 an hour. Solopreneurs take home 50% of their total revenue. So if you're a solo paint business owner, typically, if you make $100,000 of revenue in a year, you're probably taking home about 50. The thought experiment, the goal to 75 per year, what do you need each day to do this? So here's what we think about. 
you want to take home 75 because uh, you uh, you want to take home 75, you will make a 50% margin. So times two, there's 261 working days, which means you need to generate $150,000 of revenue. And if you break it out on 261 working days, oops, excuse me, back here, you need to create $575 of revenue each day, which is not a lot of revenue, but you need to do it consistently. Then you will create $150,000 of revenue a year and take home $75,000 a year. That is pretty good, right? But you got to be consistent with it. Uh, method number two, reasoning on first principles. So how much do you want to make this year as the solo printer, the thought experiment? You want to take home there, 50% margin. You need to take home 575. Oops, sorry, that was a duplicate slide in there. Uh, this is the one I was looking for. Um, you want a larger company. You want to you profit. You want to take home $200,000 a year. There's 261 working days. Net profit is 15%, typically, if you can do it really well for 10 painters. You need to create $1.3 million in revenue each year, which is a lot of revenue. Most businesses never do this, right? But if you break it down per painter per day, you only need each one of your painters to create $511 of revenue per day consistently every day. Harder than it seems, harder than in practice. You think, well, that's an easy goal. Uh, managing that many humans consistently day in, day out for years and years and years is a very difficult thing. But it, it's a thought experiment. So now we, we say that because... What can your painters produce in a day? What do you need to charge to hit these goals? And you can kind of like back end around into that revenue stuff. Method number three is industry benchmarks, right? There are some commonly accepted industry benchmarks. They're gonna change by business size, but basically materials, um, you wanna keep those to about 15% or less if you're a larger business, right? Anything over five, 10, 15, 20 painters, your benchmark typically is you wanna have 15% or less materials. You wanna have about 40% or less in the labor, uh, give or take. And that's basically job costing, right? Um, based on those industry benchmarks, if you have like a commercial project like this, where you don't know what to charge, you don't have a developed data set, you can back into a potential charge or revenue number based on a 15% material rate. So think about this. If we assume that there's gonna be 15% materials and on block, uh, extruded block like this, we'll get hundred square foot coverage and our paint, a Loxon, costs $41.70 a gallon. So we measure the building and we come up with a almost 20,000 square foot exterior envelope divided by 100 square foot rate, which is 193.5 gallons needed for one coat, right? 194 gallons, give or take, times that is about $8,000 worth of material cost. You divide that by 15%, our benchmark, and you would say, if our materials are $8,000 in this job and we want to be at 15% or lower, we need to charge about $53,000, $54,000 for this. Then you start doing a sniff test. This isn't a guarantee that this is what you should charge. Just a thought experiment. If you don't have a developed set, uh, data set, this will help you along the way greatly. Uh, so then remember with labor, right? So $54,000 is our potential charge rate times 40% labor. That gives you about $22,000 of potential uh, money you can set aside for the labor portion of that. Divided by $55 of revenue per hour equals a 392-hour goal. So now you can create a project budget for this, which is if we want to keep materials to this and labor to this, I'm going to charge $54,000 and we got 392 hours to do. If if we can do that, we will create $55 of revenue an hour. That is fairly low. Uh, I believe it probably should be closer to 75, but we just plugged in a number for the, for the thought experiment here, folks. These numbers, you don't have to memorize exactly. I just want to show you that there are ways of using benchmarks, data, and first principle reasoning to come up with price 
when you may not know what a price is or may not have a developed data set. So job costing, here's the greatest thing on earth. If you don't job cost, you have to do this. I'll go through a deep, deep dive in mastering the basics later on. So here's the deal. You have to do a project. You have to job cost it. You have to compare it to the benchmarks and then you adjust your prices needed to fill a schedule and be profitable. So assumptions and decision based on job costing. Some things, possible outcomes are, do you need to raise your rates? Did you get a callback? Did you do the work effectively? Was this an anomaly? Was this just a weird project that I either charged too much or too little or something was weird on site? Uh, the whole room was a dartboard and I had to skim all the walls. That's an anomaly, right? You can't base other data off that. Uh, when you charge $425 to do a room, do you sell 50%? One of those things too. Plug in any number you want. When you charge $600 for a bedroom, do you sell 50%? There's a commonly accepted sniff test in the industry where if you're selling half of all the projects that you estimate on that particular thing, you're probably pretty close to a good price for your company, for your market. And number one is your schedule full. What's your lead time? So if your schedule has huge gaps in it, you may want to actually bring your price down, give or take, right? Or you may want to do better marketing, maybe a combination of both. But if your lead time is a year and a half out, I would make a great economic argument that you need to raise your prices to bring that lead time down because you're, everybody's taking what you're given because it's really not that expensive. So bedroom job costing, actual. For this particular bedroom, we charge 425 bucks for the walls, material two gallons. So that was about 14% three hours at 30 bucks an hour uh, times 1.25% labor burden like that brings you to 26% revenue per hour is 121.6. You can make a great economic argument that if you charge this, if you use two gallons of paint, if it takes somebody three hours and you're paying them $30 an hour plus burden, that this is a very profitable way to paint a bedroom, right? And if you sell a whole bunch of these and your lead time is way out, guess what? You get to raise that price. If you only sell one or two of these and your schedule is bare, you probably bring your price down a little bit and get some more of these and be profitable. Maybe you only make $100 an hour of revenue generation, but you sell more and fill your schedule. And that's the sort of equilibrium that we have to walk here with this stuff. Unit pricing. This is one of my favorite here. So this comes from job costing over a long period of time. So think about one of the best proverbial jobs for this is like kitchen cabinets, right? The price comes easy, cabinets and trim. The cons is there's complexity and variables, modifiers with exteriors like that. So uh, the, the easiest one is, you know, in the industry, it's a very commonly accepted thing to count up the doors and drawers on a kitchen. The over and under is 37 to 40. That's an average kitchen in my market. And you charge X amount of dollars. It could be 100, 150, $200 per door and drawer. And that'll come up with the total price for the job. It's a quick and easy metric to do that. Now, yes, you can say there's variables. What about a wine rack? What about open shelves? Listen, folks. You cannot throw the baby out with the bathwater. You cannot say, well, we can't possibly come up with a pricing system because there might be an anomaly. You should come up with a pricing system because there will be anomalies. If you do all your kitchens and you happen to have glass doors on one, uh, a couple of those and a wine rack, guess what? Just come up with a price for that on top of that. But it doesn't mean that you can't price 90% of the rest of the project consistently like that. So I just want you to not let perfection stand in the way of really, really good. And this is what we do. We have such a mountain of data. We don't need to measure anything anymore. We basically break it down to a unit price. And then we track job costing very closely. So production rates, this is beautiful. If you haven't started anywhere, in order to get to a unit price or to market rate, you need to come up with some production rates initially. Now, we do not estimate by production rates anymore in my company. We take an aggregate of job costing. We have people with production rates all over the dang place, right? We have apprentices who take seven hours to paint a bedroom. It takes me an hour and a half, right? Who's? Do we take an average? No, because one's going to be high, one's going to be low. You see the problems in all this. So it's good to do production rates if your people are consistent, right? It's a great way of estimating where we can do X amount of 
res repaint walls in an hour times how many people, and then you apply a charge rate, 75, 85, 90, $120 an hour, and you come up with a price. That's another great way uh, to come up with price. I find that uh, people like Jason Paris with a very analytical mind, an economist mind, loves a heavy, heavy database system like that. Me, a little more esoteric, a little more visionary. I love simplicity. I, I've attracted people that are like that too. We take a very loose sort of simple system where we have a mountain of data behind it and we spit out this nice, easy to comply with little thing. Doesn't mean we don't have complexity in it, but not every person deals with complexity every day. And there's the, there's the benefit of all that. So the pro, easily transfer and estimating process. So think about this. If you have an amazingly developed set of production rates in your company, some people don't even need to know about painting. They just need to measure well and apply a charge rate. And you have a very replicable system. And I think that's where guys like Jason really do this well. The con, you have to be consistent. This is not me, right? This is not me. I love the old sniff test, finger in the wind. You must have a large data set, right? Uh, measure, measurements and accurate job costing. And honestly, that's not what our industry does really well at this point but we're getting a lot better for it. So, but you can see a simple project. Like this was just an exterior of a house we did. We charged this cause it we charged that cause it was a super simple one. I think this is four or five years ago. So the pricing is a little off. Um, materials, we are a little high in materials, but we are low on labor, but we did measure everything. You can see, this is one of those 3D models. Um, and I can see if I can find a better, yeah, it's about fine. Yeah. All right. So you can see the 3D model here where it actually measures the entire outside of the house. And then we basically track the hours and the paint and everything. And we came up with a spread rate and a labor rate for that. So if we ever find a house like that with, forget what this was, uh, 921 square feet of exterior with brand new siding, we got a great data point that uh, that we can produce this very profitably. Gross profit was 43. That's uh, that's about average. I would like to see it about 45, give or take. But that's a win. That's a minimal win for a company. If you can do that all year, that's a great company. So about that. But again, you don't have to memorize these exact numbers. I want you guys to know that there's about six or seven different ways that you can come up with price. Are you consistent enough to just do it? Okay. Fatal flaws by estimating by production rates, right? This is my favorite. We are historic restorationists. Your production rates go out the dang window when you start having Victorian mansion restorations, right? So whose production rate? Is it Nick, master craftsperson? Is it Liam, two months into his apprenticeship, right? How do you measure complex substrates like this, right? If you don't have a data point, now what? If we if we have a production rate data uh, uh, estimating system and you send your estimator out and they say, well, listen, Nick, it's an 1890s house with a turret. There's seven colors. Uh, some is stucco, some is wood. We have a porch with this sort of thing. Um, where's the data set? You say, well, we've never done one like that. Then what do you do? Then you have to revert all the way to gut or you call somebody else who knows what they're doing. And even then you might get a weird data set. So. You just have to find another method, right? And you can always estimate it. When, when somebody emails me and says, Nick, I really need help pricing this. And I will say, I will help you with this, but you have to give me one thing. Write out a project plan and tell me how long this is going to take you. And then we can apply a charge rate to it and we'll work through this together to come up with a rate. Right? That's the least I can do, but I can't just spit out a price to you because it's not going to be not going to be beneficial to you, right? Market rate. This is the one I love. It demands lots of reps, lots of repetitions out there, right? And you have to kind of judge this by success ratio or SR. If you sell 50% of the jobs, you theor theoretically price the job right for a larger company, give or take. Now, if you're a single owner operator, I could make an economic argument that you should sell 98% of your jobs or you should sell 2% of your jobs. I could make those two arguments at the same time based on some economic indicators. Uh, and then you basically have to do daily, weekly, monthly adjustments and a lot of pattern detection, right? This is something that I look at weekly and uh, we're actually preparing for a price movement in my company and we're sorting them by 
by decks, by historic restorations, by small projects, by uh, projects that are 45 minutes away, things like that. And I'm coming up with pattern detection in the prices. What is the most profitable project? What is a project that we tend to lose on quite a bit? And then we have to figure out, is it our process, our presentation, or our price, give or take? And this is one of these documents that I'm going to give you guys. This is called my price tracker, or excuse me, sales tracker. Uh, every week, my two estimators track their um, uh, numbers on this page. So we track the number of leads. We track the number of estimates. We track, uh, we track the success ratio. How many did they estimate? How many did they sell? And then we also track average job size because we have a minimum for that too if we want to hit our goals on our company. But every week, we can lay out how many estimates my people did, what their success ratio, and if they hit their actual revenue total like this. I will give you this blank template at the end of this. Uh, I'll give you my email address there too. But it's very important that you track these numbers so that you have good uh, good data here. So, all right, do, 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 do. let me see here, make sure I'm not passing up any great questions on IG. Thanks everybody for watching today. This is awesome to have you guys here. Um, two things I'm gonna give you guys at the end of this, which is some pretty crazy market rate data for what people charge all over the country. And I'm gonna either prove or disprove some of the myths you have about estimating. And I'm also gonna give you my email address uh, so you can get all of my resources on here too. So everybody hold tight, we're working through this. The bedroom experiment, this is what we do all around the country. I have an anonymous uh, estimating experiment that we do. It's a Google form. I put a QR code on the screen and people at my master's classes, sometimes it's 50, 100, 150 people, will anonymously, anonymously estimate the same um, bedroom everywhere. Uh, and then we will plug in that data, aggregate, and I will show you high, low, and average, give or take. So it's a really cool thing. It's a really cool thing. Market rate determined by job costing data. So here is a sample of my job costing right here. We have the projects listed here. We have a little bit of data about material and labor, and then it's conditionally formatted. Green is good, red is not good. So you can see a smattering of red. You can sort it by job name. You can sort it by project manager, by estimator. This is just a simple G sheet, give or take. It's just job costing. We're gonna have a huge show on job costing uh, later on. Travis, do the estimators fill in all the data from the last spreadsheet? Yes, they do. That is their weekly thing. And then, uh, each of my estimators and my project managers, we have a weekly one-on-one -on -one where we review the numbers, but we also talk a lot about feelings and motivators and, and stuff like that. It's a fun part of my week. I absolutely love it, connecting with all those people. So great question. All right, the fun stuff, the data and the analytics. So adding data to the feelings, right? And you're driving marketing costs, right? So what you can actually do from all this stuff is when you look at your job costing, when you look at your sales numbers, now you can look at how many leads came in per channel, right? Because my clients are giving me that. Hey, I heard about you on Facebook. I heard about you on Instagram. I got a flyer in the mail. And then you can determine the next layer of data, which is then, great, 42% of our jobs come from flyers. Well, how many, how many of those leads then turn into estimates? Now, that's another number to track. How many of those estimates turn into jobs? And when you have that three data pipeline right there, you can actually say they're the, the biggest source of leads may not be the best source of jobs. And in the end, when you track that number downstream through the funnel, you may find out that your biggest source of leads is actually your worst form of marketing, where you don't spend much money on a newspaper, but every single project that comes in is four times larger and four times more profitable. Now, whether that's scalable or not, I don't know but you have to track it. Just because you get a pile of leads from something, they may not translate into anything and it may be completely useless for you. So you just gotta keep an eye on that. So remember folks, estimating. When it feels like you're on the bends a lot of years, like it's high lows, there's a lot of demand and not, I've tracked the demand curve for 
like natural organic leads for years and years and years. And it's a double hump camel curve, which is surprise, surprise in January, February, it's a little slow March. It picks up when it gets nicer, April, even more. And then we have a blowout in May. Then in the middle of summer, a huge demand in May, people take their vacations. We go through the trough magically in September. Guess what happens folks? People have enjoyed the summer. They've not got that deck stain. They've not got that house painted. They've not done the home project. Kids are going back to school. Time to get down to business. Boom. We get a huge demand again. And then it peters off towards winter again. Now, what's interesting over the years, and in my full master's classes, I actually show you how this curve has changed with my marketing. What you do is you take that double hump like this. And with marketing, you gradually level that out like that. So what you're not doing is getting rid of organic demand. You're supplementing it with demand in the troughs in winter and in the middle of summer right there. So that's what we do. Marketing will naturally bring some of this up, bring some of this up, and it will level off that middle part. What you want, <laughs> what would be great is consistent leads all year. That's not going to happen. But with marketing, you can level it out. So you're not in May. There's too many estimate requests. In January, there's not enough. We want to change that a little bit. And that's what good marketing does. So if you ever feel like there's frantic times of the year, congratulations. The data will prove that for you. Success ratio benchmark. So how many estimates? So this will tell you like, oh my God, if you track your success ratio, you can then figure out how many estimates you need. And then you can also help uh, with a marketing budget. So solopreneur, $150,000 of revenue a year. If your average job size is $5,000, you'll need about 30 jobs a year, right? If you have an 80% success ratio, you're only going to need 38 estimates a year in order to sell 80% of them, which will give you 30 jobs at a 5,000 AGS, which will create $150,000 in revenue. This is not a mystery, right? This is just a simple math problem with some intuition and some numbers that you plug in. So same thing. Let's go with our 10 person, our million dollar paint company. If you want to create a $1.1 million of revenue a year at a 5,000 AJS, your SR is 50%. You're going to need 220 jobs this year. You're going to need 440 estimates, which is basically an estimate and a quarter every day of the year, give or take. Not crazy, right? If your SR is 50%, which is an industry accepted average, and you do 440 estimates, you'll sell 220 jobs. If the average job size is 5,000, you have just created a $1.1 million company, right? You adjust the average job size, you adjust your success ratio, that'll tell you what the revenue is going to be at. But it's not a mystery. You, this is just a simple, intuitive math problem that you can do to do some planning out in front of you. So remember, this is something that I kind of know to be true. Well, let me take a look at that, do, 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 uh, that I, I comfort myself with, folks. And if there's anything I want you guys to take away with, I know you guys are big thinkers. I want you to take away this, which is, it's likely, somebody very wise told me this, and I, I can't disprove it. A third of the people will never use you. If you do 100 estimates, 33 of them will never use you. They were never going to use you. They never thought of using you. You offered a free estimate and they took it, right? A third of the people will use you unless you throw up on their shoes, which means a third of the people will always say yes, right? So you're starting off with a 33% success ratio out of 100 anyway, just because you're a human and you're there and you're not a crook, they'll take you. And then a third of them might be swayed. So in essence, when you have a 50% success ratio, you're capturing the 33% that are always going to say yes. And then you're capturing 17% of that 33% and then making that a 50% success ratio. So in, in, in essence, you're capturing the majority of the people in those things. If you do believe that the third, third, third principle is true, which I believe is. And the reason I, I say this all the time, the reason I coach my people on it is because they get beat up about only selling half the jobs. And I will say, well, if you start off carv carving away 33.3%, that we're never going to use this anyway, which we can't honestly discern, right? There's some obvious tells, but we don't know. 
We don't know if they're going to do this. If you carve off that, we're actually doing pretty well compared to all that stuff. Are you selling enough to keep your company afloat? Number one, who cares about the price? If you have gaps in the schedule, you fill it. And then you job cost it. If you're not profitable then, then you need to find other jobs, charge more for them, things like that. But you need to fill a schedule first. You need to fill a schedule first. Um, one of the better things I can offer you is that you're probably never going to feel 100% certain about this, right? Our clients are all over the map, completely variable. Each one of them has a different standard. This is not one of those things like a car dealership where you can compare Ford F-150s from dealership to dealership. And then you just look for that one anomaly of some rebate or some add-on or some undercoating or something like that. People have no idea what to charge. Painters have no idea what to charge. And we live in this world of this crazy tide of back and forth between those things. I will tell you this too. Um, I get a weird data set from looking into painting businesses from all over the country. 90% of you should raise your prices immediately. Clients, if you're not a professional painter, if you're not a professional craftsperson, this is not me saying that we should be taking advantage of clients. What's happening right now, if you are not a professional craftsperson, if you are not a professional paint business or a home service owner, I want you to know this. There are a bunch of people from my hometown and other, other wares that, that watch this. Most paint business owners take home $43,000 a year and go out of business in a year and a half. That's because they don't charge enough, right? We do not want to charge you anything more than we have to. We want to fill our schedule. We want to pay our people a lot of money. We want to do glorious work for you. And we would like to be in business for more than one year and take home more than $43,000 a year. This is a very unprofessionalized industry that doesn't charge enough money, right? So great, take advantage of it. But when you call that painter back who did a glorious job on your deck a year and a half later to do something on the inside, they don't exist anymore because nobody paid them enough to stay in existence. Now, what I'm saying, clients, is, is this is not your fault, right? We're unprofessional. 99% of all our industry is pretty fragmented, pretty unprofessional. So we need to do better. But at the same time, folks, I mean, a plumber will come do your toilet for $180 an hour. Meanwhile, we get people charging $40 an hour to do decorative painting in your house, right? So risk and reward, it's uh, different industries are professionalized. I just want to give you a perspective from the inside of this industry, right? Price modifiers, of course. If you're in high growth mode versus stability mode, that's going to change. Your lead time, do you need work? Are you booked out four months? That's going to change your pricing strategy too. Are you in a tight niche? Are you generalist? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a moderator of a group of 100,000 painters on the internet that only do cabinets. That's very specific, right? That's very specific. Now, if you're a smaller company, you don't need much work. You can charge a lot of money for it. But if I have 40 painters and all we do is cabinets, I'm going to have to be a pretty bargain price company to get that many leads in through the door. That's why we are generalists. That's why we restore Victorian mansions. We do fine finishes in homes, cabinetry, trim, decks. I mean, all this other kind of stuff like that. And then seasonal demand too. You can adjust your prices seasonally uh, because of the demand. Now, we don't necessarily adjust the project prices seasonally. We do have exterior projects and interior projects. And exterior projects get a little more volatile price because there's only a short window to do them and there's a lot of demand for them. So you can adjust it. I adjust it by the type of project, which ends up being seasonal versus the actual like variability within a project. So, and again, remember triangulation through this, there's gut, there's production rates and there's market. There's a feeling side to this right here. And there's a data side right here. I would urge you guys to take the target and move it as far down here uh, as you possibly can with data. So if you still have questions, again, remember, you may not ever feel 100% comfortable with this, right? Price is not set by you by hundreds of irrational humans that are clients, right? So if you think you're a psychologist, you can discern a budget or a uh, uh, the demand level of the client 
uh, I would I would offer you cannot, not with any database thing that you can be consistent with. Offer more that more value, not just price. So we do a white glove clean at the end. We label all our paint cans. We move furniture. We help with color. We address the needs of the clients that are outside of the painting, right? And here's here's the basic sniff test thing. If you're a solopreneur, if you're a single owner operator, and you're not taking home eighty thousand dollars a year, you need to change one of these, <laughs> or both. Get better and faster at painting, or raise your rates right now. If you're not taking home eighty thousand dollars a year as a single owner operator, there is too much risk for not enough reward in this. And this is not me saying take advantage of your clients. This is me saying you're offering immense value. You need to charge for it. Otherwise, you're only going to take home forty-three thousand dollars a year, and in a year and a half, you're out of business. And your life is going to be ruined by it, by all the stress, right? Take it from somebody who's gone through that trough and come back out the other side, right? And here's our third, third, third principle again. Don't ever forget that, that a third of the people will always use you. A third of the people will never use you. And you might be able to sway the other third. So if you go into that knowing that, you, you will have less emotional highs and lows uh, as you go through estimating. And also, folks, I will offer an amazing resource for people on TikTok, for people on Instagram. Right now, for these production rates, people email me all the time and say, send me your production rates. I say, it's not useful because I have production rates for apprentices, for master craftspeople, and for myself. I don't know how to discern all that stuff. They're all over the map. What I do know is what we need to charge to keep this company rolling and do it profitably. But here's the deal, folks. The PCA, the Painting Contractors Association, they have cost and estimating guides. Two volumes. Mine are sitting right on this shelf right here, spiral bound like this. You can go buy these things right now and they will lay out production rates for you. They will lay out some charge rates. They will help you understand that, at least give you a place to start. So if you got Estimate Rocket as your software and you need to put in production rates, right there, folks. It's right there. It's a great place to start. This will likely not solve every single problem uh, that you'll ever encounter in business, but it takes the whole world of what could possibly be into start here which again, removes an excuse for all of us. Well, I want it to be perfect. What if it's not accurate? Guess what? Start. Just do it. I dare you to just do it. Take the first step. So here it is, folks. Uh, here's what I hear all the time. Well, I'm in Newton, Massachusetts, and you're in San Rafael, California. We couldn't possibly talk about price. We are so far off. We could never begin a discussion about price. So here you go, guys. Here's some aggregated market rate data from around the country. We have Minneapolis, where I'm from. We have Newton, Massachusetts, which is basically Boston. We have Seattle, Washington, uh, geographically, couldn't get farther away, right? And then we have the Bay Area in California, right? And so look at the prices in these things. Newton, Massachusetts, the, the, the cost to paint a bedroom, this is self-reported, is $659 to paint the walls in Newton, Massachusetts. The price in Seattle is $679. The price in the Bay Area, $692. Now, what I find is that when you take Minneapolis, St. Louis, Tulsa, Oklahoma, the numbers are a little lower. What you'll find is that 528, 601, things like that. So yes, what you're going to find, oops, sorry, in, in Boston, people charge a little more for a bedroom. But the problem is you can still, look at this, you can still talk about the time it takes to do a bedroom and the material costs. So really, we're within 12% uh, of hours used for a bedroom between Minneapolis and Boston, and we're within $4 of materials. So when you say we couldn't possibly talk about price, Yes, you can. You can absolutely talk about price because the materials we're using is almost exactly the same. Um, the, um, uh, the average labor for those bedrooms is almost the same. So all we have to do is then figure out, well, listen, in Boston, the, the charge rate might be a little higher uh, because there's high cost of living, high cost of labor, maybe in Minneapolis, the Midwest, St. Louis, 
not so much. So uh, I just want you guys to know that everybody thinks they're special. Everybody thinks they have a magic way of estimating that nobody ever has. And it's a secret. And it's your secret to success. I will tell you this. If it's not built on a mountain of data, weekly job costing, you don't have a secret. It's actually probably the thing hurting your business. And the reason you don't want to talk about it is because you don't have any any data to talk about. It's just a sniff test feeling. Like you don't have any way of, if, 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 if somebody woke all of our industry up in the middle of the night and said, justify how you came up with your price. 99% of all the contractors in the United States could not tell you how they came up with $528 to, to paint a bedroom. They just couldn't, they couldn't do it. In my company, you crack this egg open, I'll show you exactly how we did. And I'll show you how we changed it over the years. I'll, I'll show you my reasonings for it. And that allows me to sleep at night, knowing that I'm giving my clients a super high value we're charging the most we possibly can. And we also have a full schedule too. So next slide. All right, here you go, folks. If you email me, I'll send you my estimate template. I'll send you my estimating SOP. I'll send you my contract. I'll send you my what's next doc. So this is a thing that we send in the packet as well too. Uh, and I will also send you my steps to professionalization as well too. So let me look through a couple last comments here. And then I'm going to get back on family time, folks, because we have a sauna outside. We've been pheasant hunting. Mr. Hutzel, Nathan Hutzel, fellow craftsperson. Good to see you from Minnesota here. Uh, thank you, everybody, for watching. we got tons of people. Oh, John Busick. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you, my friend. Lots of people on IG. Lots of people on Facebook today. Dominic Crowley. Good to see you, my friend. All right, everybody. Really appreciate that. Uh, people on TikTok, thank you for following along today. Uh, email me nick at nickslavic.com and I will send you my entire estimating packet. You can either mention the show 391 or you can say, give me your estimating resources. I'm going to ask for something very small in return, but in the end, I will send you all that stuff. Uh, the only thing that I will say is for the love of God, use it folks. I would love for you to just use this stuff. So, all right, that's about it. A couple more comments on Facebook. Bruce, dude, love the conversation today, man. Thanks for being open. Thanks for having this uh, discussed. This is an amazing show. I'll give it out free. All right. Last thing we need, Travis, thank you for the kind words. Everybody right now, the kindest thing you can do for me won't cost you a thing. Share this. Share it out there. Put it in your story. Share it to your feed. Put it in the Painter Facebook groups. Share it to everybody you have, story and, and feed and otherwise. And we're going to attract more people like this. And next week, we will continue with the Mastering the Basics series. And uh, yeah, happy to help you guys out. Uh, look forward to it and have a great rest of a holiday weekend, folks. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.